Hello and welcome to More Than Tracy Turnblad, the podcast about fat representation in entertainment and media. I'm Abby, she, her. Today I am not joined by my regular co-host Luz, but we do have an amazing guest here with us today. It's Lily Womble, founder of Date Brazen, feminist dating coach and author of the upcoming book, Thank You More Please. <laughs> and she's voguing in the chat, in the Zoom. <laughs> so happy to have you here, Lily. Welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. I'm excited to dive in. I have so many things to ask you. Um, but I think the first thing is pitch your book. Like, we got to get to the book. Oh, my God. Okay. So my book is Thank You More, Please, A Feminist Guide to Breaking Dumb Dating Rules and Finding Love, which is the long subtitle. Basically, I was a late bloomer. I was self-described as a late bloomer. I didn't have an adult relationship in my mid to late 20s, really. I hadn't had sex until I was 25. I felt eternally behind and like I was constantly too much, that I was asking for too much of my love life, that I was too much. I was raised in the deep South, which only added to the like, you're too much label. So when I say that I truly was at a dating rock bottom, like toxic situationships, Mm -hmm. crying in his bathroom, solo, like feeling like what I wanted didn't exist. Like I truly get it, you know, dating, I know that dating is a microcosm of every hope, joy, dream, fear, insecurity, desire that we have as human beings. It matters to our well-being. So while I was also in that terrible relationship, I had this side hustle at the same time where I was a professional matchmaker. Damn. I know. So wild. I thought it would be a funny story about how I was a matchmaker once. Like I was trying to make ends meet living in New York City, having a bazillion side hustles. But I found this company. They hired me. I became a matchmaker bragging on myself. I became the third most successful matchmaker out of 160 at this firm. Wow. Wild, wild times. Setting up hundreds of people, having thousands of phone calls with my, with potential dates for my clients. Mm -hmm. So I realized at the end, tail end of this terrible toxic situationship with the help of therapy, that (laughs) I was living in, I was living in a, a total disconnect, right? I was telling my clients you deserve more and in my own love life i was accepting the bare minimum maybe even less than the bare minimum so i didn't want to live out of alignment anymore and i was like done with feeling so broken and alone in my dating life so i was like okay what do i do next once i broke up with that guy how do i never settle again and i looked to my therapist who bless her heart hadn't dated in 30 years like she didn't know what to tell me really yeah love therapy but like dating advice not so much if you haven't dated in app era it's uh, it's just different it's different and the advice that she was giving like i don't know try another app or i don't know my daughter did this so you know like there was just a disconnect my friends were telling me like just swipe more go on more dates like yeah play the numbers game which i now know to be actually like a piece of advice that is born of the toxic hustle culture patriarchal like mess that is so seeped into and inculcated in like all of the dating advice that i think is most common oh t we got we've got a lot to talk about there for sure we've got a lot to talk about and then matchmaking though it was fun and people got like 
good things out of it sometimes like it was only a first date you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying so i needed a deeper than a first date solution so about seven years ago i became my first client ever i started to get beneath the surface of my checklist i because i was dating with this like rigid like gotta meet all my checklist boxes uh i started getting to know my own essence-based preferences which we can get into in this episode is like how do you know how you want to feel in the right relationship and how do you use that information to settle proof your love life i was doing that myself i was also getting beneath the surface of the like I'm too much story How, why do I believe that what's really going on how is that influencing every decision that I make and really healing that story so what happened is that I started having more fun in my dating life because of that work and then I met the love of my life Chris with in-person dating because I had done this work and uh, I started coaching my matchmaking clients who started to find better dates for themselves than I or anyone else could find for them. So about seven years ago, Date Brazen was born. And I started dreaming about this book of like, what would it look like to like really interrupt the dating conversation to make it more feminist, to make it more supportive, to make it more intersectional, to bring in like stuff that actually works instead of exhausting, like minimizing shrinky advice that tells women to want less, right? Totally. So I've been building Date Brazen for the past seven years, had hundreds of clients around the world, and Thank You More Please is the exact step-by-step -step process plus my own personal stories implementing, my clients' personal stories implementing, the process to create a joyful-as-fuck dating life that makes the right relationship inevitable. So that's Thank You More Please, and I love this book so much. It's on pre-order right now. Um, everywhere books are sold, and I, we can talk about that in a bit, but like, I'm so excited for people to have this book because I do think that it's going to change the way people think about dating and the way that they find love to feel better in the process and to find an extraordinary relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of clearly, like based on the responses to the posts that I've been making about this, like a lot of people are in this boat and I feel like we all have such attachment to it. Like regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation, dating feels like a minefield. Like I, yes. so I did, I am a graduate of the Landmark Forum. Um, I know you're, you're, you're kind of like adjacent to life coaching, right? It's dating coaching, it's life coaching. So I've, yeah. I've spent time in that space and I had this coach and I, remember saying to her, this is about a year before I met my boyfriend, I just went, dating is a minefield. And she goes, she's like, that's where you're, that's where you're like, that's where you need to start. Because like, when you have this perception of it is this horrible, terrifying thing. There's so much that goes into yeah. it. I really relate to a lot of your experience. I think for me, a lot of it has been tied with my body so much. Like mm. being a late bloomer, not having sex in my 20s, like feeling mm. like I'm behind. Um, mm. And so I wanted to ask you, this is something we ask all of our guests, is how do you describe your body and did that play in at all for you? Because I know you've talked about it a little on your pod. Oh my God, it definitely played in. I... I um. I grew up in a in a Weight Watchers family. Oh boy! Right? Like yeah. I grew up going to Weight Watchers at the local church at age twelve with my mm -hmm. mom, and uh, my mom is an incredible human. And I think she obviously she's doing like any parent, you know, they do their best. Sometimes it falls short. I I think that she was also really struggling with body stuff, and um and so I sort of saw that and 
fought a lot of things about my body uh, from a very young age that were very negative. Um, I remember pursuing thinness all the time and it was like mid-size from, I've been a size 12, 14 since I was in college and Mm -hmm. that felt like way too big, you know, and, and, um, I think that I, I carried a lot of privilege both as a white woman unearned privilege and also some straight size privilege and then i could go into a store and buy things right however i did really struggle with my body i feared every single date that i went on in my 20s that someone would look me up and down yeah. and have a thought like she's too big to be attractive i i think that i conflated I also felt unattractive in general, like all of these things felt, I remember viscerally never feeling chosen romantically, always feeling like the best friend, like even to the, Abby, even to say like, I don't know if you noticed, but the name Lily is used as the best friend name in so many TV shows and movies. Well, you're so right. You're so right. Devil Wears Prada. I can't think of another one right now, but like... How I Met Your Mother? Right. Like the best friend. Mm -hmm. And then when I was a matchmaker, my curvier clients, my larger bodied clients would have these dating experiences that confirmed my worst fears about humanity. Oh my God. That is so real. I could not relate to that more because I was terrified to date and I basically refused to date for through college pretty much. And I mean, I would go on the apps, I would swipe on people and then someone would be like, do you want to go out? And I'd be like, delete my profile forever. Yes. The avoidance, the avoidance because you're afraid that the worst fear is going to be like confirmed. Right. And it was like fun to talk to people. And it was like, I was entertaining possibilities and I was like seeing what's out there. And then it would get real. And I'd be like, absolutely not. I'm not willing to risk that. And I remember seeing in media and also like growing up, my best friend was at the time, like, I don't even think she was as fat as I was, but she experienced some horrible bullying. And I watched her Mm -hmm. growing up be like fake assed out and like all these guys fucking with her and like joking about imagine if you liked her like that kind of thing and I and I said I will never let that be me so right right yeah like but seeing other people do it put me in this like cautious space I think that kids I mean people can be really cruel and obviously we live in a fucked up fat phobic society that um treats thinness as um perfection Mm. that we all should strive toward which is not good or healthy yeah and i mean and i remember in first grade and i talk about this in the book because when 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 i wanted to start dating and never settle again i had to look back in the past it felt like being in a haunted house like my patterns were coming back to haunt me the people that rejected me like they felt like they were right i was unlovable or i was like and and i traced that pattern when i started doing this work i traced that pattern back to like first grade when a guy named i'm not gonna say his name but a guy named let's just say like reggie or whatever yeah um asked me out at the lunch table in first grade you know whatever yeah it's what it is first, a relationship grade. In first grade but he said do you want to like lily will you go out with me and i said like i don't know like and he started laughing i was like why are you laughing and a whole table of boys started laughing and then he looked at me he was like you think i would ever want to ask you out and then i saw the, another kid pass him like a five dollar bill oh god that's my night like i lived my life avoiding that like that i lived my life out of avoiding right. that 
for 20 years. And of course you did. Yeah. Because that sucks. And of course you wanted to protect yourself. And we're also told our our value as women is so in like entrenched with like the male gaze and romantic validation and like I was definitely yeah. sold this line that it's like oh that's your path to happiness in life. And knowing from the day I got fat when I was 10 that that was that was like not available to me it actually enabled me to question it and i think it ended up leading to me having like a eventually after many years of therapy a healthy relationship for it <laughs> yeah yeah well and i so relate to that i my my mom again bless her i talk about in the book that like she's a God, it's so complicated writing a book because you share these like vulnerable things about your family and then they read it. Oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, the full full stories are in the book. But I, uh, my mom called me too much at age like 11 oh, or 12. Man. And she said like, you're, you're too much for, you know, you're going to have a hard time. She said, finding a husband because you're too much. Wow. And to me that encompassed, right. That encompassed my body that encompassed the space that i took up physically it's like a metaphor oh yeah so i dated that felt like a life sentence of loneliness as well mm. because i saw that a woman's worth was so intimately tied to her romantic status being with a cisgender man yes. right so so i too struggled with that like and and had to unpack that as an adult yeah you know totally totally and that's that's like it's really interesting thinking about that when it's like is that even what you want like that's something that i really had mm -hmm. to ask myself um and i really had to go through and unpack each thing and and like actually figure out what 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 parts of that are appealing to me and why are they appealing to me and how much of it is just ego because it feels really mm -hmm. easy to get trapped in like the whole ego cycle of it and um i think a, this is a big thing that's come up when I've been asking questions about people's experiences and people's like hangups. Like a lot of people just feel like it's such a source of like knocking them down. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. that like it becomes yeah. hard to tell whether you want it or whether you want validation. Right. And I think that there is such important work to be done at that moment right like you shared earlier mm -hmm. like the, if it feels like a minefield that's good information that there's work to be done yes so like <laughs> to to diffuse or to neutralize it because um i think that as human beings we all crave love and community and belonging yes and you know i i think that romantic relationship has become sort of this um lowest common denominator of that support belonging connection so because true. it seemed like because the world tells us to want it yeah and it does it is a practical thing as well because it's like i didn't even realize this till i got in a relationship but it's like oh my god i can split rent like oh my god i have a person to come right. home to i don't have to schedule a coffee date with my friend and then we have to spend money right. in order to hang out and we have to meet in the middle because she lives in brooklyn and i live in manhattan like you know it just it's just con it's convenience of all of these things that are like support and belonging and it's also it's official too so like there's that appeal as well so i think it makes so much sense that it like becomes so loaded it's like weighted down with so much no pun intended <laughs> yeah well and and if we're you know this book thank you more please it is also unpacking how the patri how patriarchal forces and the like system of patriarchy yeah. that is intersectional with other forces of oppression has impacted how we view ourselves and how we find love. Absolutely. And I do think that this like that that it 
that our government, I mean, like, let's be a little conspiratorial about this. <laughs> our government wants us to make babies to, like, to, to, to further the economy, like, as humans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they incentivize people getting married to make babies and families, which is why there's tax breaks for families. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. And so th <laughs> then, like, of course, our society at large is pushing this way of being in the world as higher a higher order or more important than a friendship or more important than, you know, all these things. So like just putting it into context, like of course people who are singled feel behind people that are coupled, totally. especially women, both and that has to be a narrative that we question and really unpack yes. as individuals to create, you know, freedom from things that don't serve us. So is that what makes you a feminist dating coach? That was actually going to be One my first question for things. you, but then we, we got in so deep immediately and so much good stuff is happening. But that was my first question is like feminist dating coach. I don't see a lot of dating coaches mm. branding themselves as explicitly feminist. And that's what's so refreshing about your content for me. Oh, well, thank you. That's my intention to, for the right people, be an exhale of support. Because mm -hmm. I think that so much dating advice is focused on... Um, a romantic relationship is the gold standard of human existence. Yes. Which I don't believe is true. Like we just, I, I just shared why like that with a feminist lens is freeing, mm -hmm. right? I also think I'm a feminist dating coach because I want people, I want women and people socialized as women to really realize their own agency in their lives. And I think dating is the final frontier of that conversation about women or, or people socialized as women being the center of their love story or being the center of anything. Yeah, I think that's so true because it's again, it's just it's loaded. And like what how I always think about it, too, is like the stakes feel so much higher than they really are in a lot of ways. And like, of course, the stakes are like I want a partnership and I want, you know, I, I want a best friend and someone to come home to and, and all of these wonderful things. But then you think about it and you realize that like you're taught to date by your mother who is taught to date by her mother, most likely. Yes, um, I mean, yes. or by your father, if if you're a guy or if you just only have a father. <laughs> right? So it's like <laughs> right, but right, the right. generations previous is my point. It doesn't have to be gendered. But like my grandmother couldn't have a credit card until she married my grandfather. Like they got married yep. in the 1950s. They couldn't. She yep. she had no way of being financially independent. Yeah, it was 1974 that we yes. that women got the right to have a credit card without their husband's permission or father's permission. Exactly. Yes. At least white women. I mean, I know like women of color have been right. working in various capacities for a long time, but like of course white womanhood in a white supremacist culture is going to be like held up as the gold standard. So like getting a man was the gold standard. Getting a man to support you and pay for you and it it was your livelihood. Like it was how you stayed alive. So it's like, you know, other people could have careers, men had careers, and your career was finding a husband. Like, your literal survival would have depended on that if you were a woman, you know, a few years ago. And so, like, particularly for women, or really anyone socialized as a woman, like, you get those messages, but they're from an outdated time, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think about the way that, um, 
you know, the women in the workplace conversation yeah. has evolved. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, it, it, even in the past 20 years, you know, there's like the lean in generation conversation. And then, and then there was the, the, the anti lean in, like, like there's been time and space to, for that conversation to evolve and change and update. Right. Yes. I do not see the same discourse around dating. I don't see the same evolution in that discourse uh, in terms of what serves us. How does it serve You're us so to date right. and think about dating? The, right? So that's why I consider myself a feminist dating coach as well, because like this conversation is stuck in the patriarchal dark ages. Totally. We have to update it to serve people today in 2024 and beyond. And that's why I wrote this book, to be the guidebook for feminist human beings to navigate dating with their mental health intact, to navigate yeah. dating in a way that they feel powerful and empowered within so they can find a partner who matches and meets them where they're at. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know you mentioned earlier that your plus size clients had had some really crazy experiences matchmaking. Do you notice any demographic like differences between your clients in size or in other areas? Like, the different things people are worried about, the different experiences they have, or the different things they're looking for. Does that vary at all? Yeah, 100%, right? So I think it, that's also why, I mean, it's such a good question that is not as talked about as I think it could be. Mm -hmm. But if we think about different forms of oppression being intersectional with one another, Kimberly Crenshaw is a, a leading scholar of critical race theory and, and coined this term intersectional feminism. Mm -hmm. And um, it's this idea that different forms of oppression intersect with one another and that we need to be aware of how different people with different um, intersections of privilege and lack of privilege go through the world, right? Yeah. So in terms of fat phobia, white supremacy, ableism, homophobia, transphobia, of course, right? Of course, people with marginalized identities or several marginalized identities have so much more bullshit yeah. to deal with than folks with more privilege and different ways. And again, that's like intersectional. So I'm not going to paint with a broad brush and say like, all. Oh, I, I, I think that clients in larger bodies, clients who are fat come to the table with different fears mm -hmm. that are validated in personal experience a lot of times. Um, so of course, the awareness of how to set more boundaries and how to protect yourself fiercely, that conversation is different. Yeah. Right. Than a straight sized counterpart. Very similarly, the data shows, you know, I, in preparation for this book, I read, hold on, The Dating Divide. Hold on, let me grab it. Mm -hmm. Dating Divide, really interesting book, Race and Desire in the Era of Online Romance Ooh. by Celeste Vaughn, Currington, Jennifer Lundquist, Ken Hulin. And it unpacks how the, what the data is that makes dis, makes racism like like the data behind racism in online dating. Okay, and I, I talk about this in the book and 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 add caveats for certain um, certain groups of clientele in this book because obviously if if you're dating as a black woman on a dating app, you're going to deal with different kinds of bullshit right. than uh, a, a white counterpart and that's not okay and so i think that um in terms of what to do about if if you're dating 
as a person who has marginalized identities, which is like all of us in different ways, but specifically yeah. those who um, experience racism on a dating app, fat phobia on a dating app, mm-hmm. uh, transphobia on a dating app. There are just different boundaries that you have to come in with and a different level of support that you get to engage from your community to thrive in your dating life. Um, and that's why I, I do all of my work in groups. And that's why I think that community also like is really important for everyone as they're dating, especially those who will be impacted potentially more severely because of the uh, fucked up world that we live in. Yes, absolutely. That's my imperfect answer. No, that's a great question. So I know you've talked a lot about patriarchy and I'm wondering when you are coaching queer people, I mean, what, you know, whatever gender they be, like, how does your approach differ or does it at all? Yeah, so I'm queer. I um, am bisexual, pansexual, depends on the day of what I want to label myself as. Feel that. And yeah. And um, so I, in terms of coaching queer clients, it's not much different, Mm -hmm. right? I want people to free themselves from any expectation that feels limiting. I want people to free themselves from any expectation of performing in a way that doesn't feel authentic. I I want people to free themselves, like give themselves permission to ask the deeper questions and ask for what they want and live a fully expressed life. So no, it's not any different. Yeah. Um, and I love when my clients who thought they were straight <laughs> realize that they're bi or, or wow. lesbian or gay, like from our work, it's so exciting to to witness someone's evolution in that way. It's happened many times. That's amazing. Yeah, and I would say there's a really large population of queer folks in my program just because I think my hopefully my messaging resonates with people who um, are outside of a heteronormative box. Absolutely, and I bring this up because it's definitely something that has showed up for me. And it's like being fat too is part of this, but I think that like when you know, your gender or the gender of there's the, there, there's flexibility there in some way where it's like, yeah. I'm not, ju- you know, even if it's just, well, I'm not just interested in men. I'm not just interested in having this like hegemonic relationship. It helps you break free of the gender role. So if you do have a relationship that fits into that, you can kind of, in my experience, start more from ground zero. And it was like, just yeah. in terms of questioning my sexuality, like it felt like I'd done more work on myself in that way. And I was mm. more ready to like approach a relationship from a place of like, what do I actually want versus the things that come from outside and the expectations and the rules. And I feel like that's something I've had to fight to hold on to because in a culture mm. where the male female cishet relationship is like so prescribed, it can be really hard to find yourself like within that do you know what i mean yeah absolutely i really i don't know if you've read this book greedy oh yeah 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 by jen jen winston mm-hmm. um a, a bisexuals uh stories from a bisexual who wants too much i think is the subtitle oh i love that um but she does a better job than i ever could at unpacking the struggle of being bi in a world that is very um heteronormative especially in being with men and what does that mean and like it is a a, you know i'm in a a a relationship with a cisgender man and so i'm straight presenting and um you know i've gone through a lot of um soul searching about how to express my queerness or how to talk about it or how to you know and and so writing about it in the book and writing about like because i came out to 
my friends and family, I didn't really realize that I didn't have any um, uh, examples of women who were bisexual growing up. I didn't know that that was something that existed, some yeah. fluid sexuality. Totally. And so in the deep South in Alabama in the nineties and early two thousands. So, you know, when I came out to myself and sort of realized like, yeah, this does feel authentic to like allowing myself to be labeled as like, I'm queer. When that felt authentic enough to like come out, I met Chris like two months later. Oh my God. I literally had the exact same experience. <laughs> really no i literally i told my dad i was bi while i was yeah moving out of this apartment two weeks later i went on my first date with my boyfriend <laughs> no yeah. wait yeah. not i think we'd already we'd already hung out but it wasn't technically a date but like two weeks later we were dating wild it's funny how that happens yes it's a thing i think that you know the ultimate truth is like none of us are alone <laughs> and this this moment proves that yeah for sure. Okay, so the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like I'm seeing so much dating advice on my For You page that's so binary, like the divine feminine and, you know, the sprinkle sprinkle Girl, lady and <laughs> all this stuff. Don't get me started. And no, no, no. the trend has been so towards, I think it's called hetero pessimism for straight people, where it's the idea that straight relationships cannot work. So you just need to get in there use a man for money, use a man for sex, and that's the only, the best you can hope for. Like, that's the messaging that is happening a lot of the time. And I feel like your content runs so counter to that in this way that is, again, refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that basically the issue here is kind of like this failure of imagination. Like, we can't imagine a relationship, mm. especially for straight people. That's not like, that's not a minefield. And so I'm wondering, like, how do you coach clients through that and get them to, like, envision better? Okay. So there's so much there that I have so many sparky thoughts and ideas on. But I'll, I'll uh, focusing in on how do you, if you are a person who wants to be in a straight relationship, mm -hmm. let's start, like, if you're that person who wants to be a straight relationship, how do you believe that what you want is possible? <laughs> Yes. And how do you not settle? I don't think it's just straight people either. I think there's a lot of fat queer yeah. people who have expressed this to me as well, for sure. Yes. Great. And I was only saying straight people because of the whole, like, do good men exist conversation. Yes. I, I'm, if we're talking about the binary or the, like, settling, settle for men, use men for their money vibe that you were talking about. like okay, Totally. So yeah, yes, totally. When people in general, whoever they date, however they identify, when they want to date and they don't want to settle and they don't yet believe that what they want is possible, mm -hmm. there's a very um, simple and complex solution. It's a both hand, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the the first thing to do is acknowledge that your brain just wants to be safe. And so it's dress rehearsal. It's gathering data all the time to prove the current story in your brain, right? You're in cognitive, yes. um, you know, what, what confirmation bias. Yeah. So your brain has over-indexed on data that what you want does not exist in order to protect you from, a from failure, from rejection, yeah. from the fear of dying alone, right? Yes. Brene Brown calls it dress rehearsing tragedy. So I think first acknowledging that like thoughts aren't facts. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, more is possible just in general, like 
if you're not paying attention to the evidence that what you want does exist, mm -hmm. you're not going to gather the evidence that what you want exists. It sounds so simple, but I think that most people in order to protect themselves are shutting off from the potential evidence that it does exist. Oh, I relate to that so much. I remember when I was single, like I would have exchanges that felt like flirty and I would be like, there's no way. Like, and I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're protecting yourself. Totally. And every time I had a crush, I would protect it like a government secret. Like I was like, no one's ever going to know. Yeah, for sure. And then my friends ended up, oh, I don't know if I've told this story on the main feed before. Um, My friends ended up finding out all together in one big room one night because <laughs> I was like, I'm obsessed with this girl. Like, she's so cool. I'm in love with her. Like, we, we, she just came up in conversation. My friend goes, wait, like, actually? like romantically and i was like oh my god maybe and then she goes oh yeah. i'm gonna text her like i'm gonna send her a picture of us together and we weren't really friends we were like acquaintances and i was like don't you dare and i literally grab her phone out of her hand and throw it across the room like right i was ready to do physical violence <laughs> to prevent, you yeah. know what i mean like we do have this protective thing and it's and all of my crushes were based on the feeling that like there's compatibility here there's attraction here like there's something about you that like i just i jive with like do you know what i mean like yeah i don't know if that's true for everyone but that's always been the foundation for me as like oh my god we have this in common or like oh my god i love yeah. talking to you or like we have a great rapport and then then i would have this conflict of like you have to cut it off like you have to i just mm -hmm, wanted to like mm -hmm. lobotomize that part of my brain and never have yeah. a feeling again yeah, well, I mean, and, and if we're going deep here, Abby, I which we are, period, Codes. but even deeper, <laughs> I when you describe dating as a minefield, I love this phrase by Coach Maggie Reyes, who is a relationship coach who I adore, and uh, she says words are magic wands. Ooh, right? yeah, they're, they're magic wands painting the the picture of your brain, and so when I'm coaching people, I'm listening for the words that they use to give me more information about their current story, about the current assumptions, about where there's room to grow, right? When mm -hmm. you describe dating as a literal minefield, what I'm hearing is that it doesn't feel physically or emotionally safe to date. It never did. Yeah. So your brain and body are like taking it as a truth that you are unsafe and and making choices throwing the phone across the room yeah not wanting anybody to find out to literally keep you physically and emotionally safe totally and it was so and i felt all those walls break down when i got in my relationship like it was mm. so scary like it was maybe the scariest yes. thing i've ever done which is mm. crazy like I jumped off cliffs. Well, it's not, right? It's normal because of how deeply you wanted something yeah. and how deeply you probably felt seen, safe, and loved. T. Which is <laughs> a, a new experience for a lot of people. Yeah. That, that's why I love this work. I love this book because it's about normalizing belonging in your nervous system mm -hmm. before you ever meet the person because i too struggled at the beginning of my relationship with chris because i felt like who would want to be a part of a club that i am in? like who would want to be a part of this club totally. i don't trust him because he wants to be with me so it added this friction that had i you know 
I did this work, but had I even gone deeper into nervous system care, deeper into shame, resilience, and processing, deeper into creating emotional safety mm -hmm. in my dating life, then the then attracting love and being in the best relationship of my life would have felt more easeful. So that's like the why behind my work. So in terms of like how to then, okay, so you know what you want, you know, I would say that people who, this is for people who don't believe it exists. Yes. <laughs> if you know what you want, which I think it's really important to know your essence-based preferences, which is like the living, breathing documentation of your desires, how you want to feel in the right relationship. I have a free guide. It's like 14 pages long. It's Damn. so good and deep. I listened to your episode about it. <gasps> Thank you. Thank you more, please. And I love them so much. I want to ask you about preferences when you're done, but finish. Amazing. We need to get into it. But so once you know your EBPs or your preferences, you know, whether or not you do the essence-based work, mm -hmm. You then go out into the world and look for slivers of evidence that what you want exists, a cute conversation with a barista, or you see a cute person exit a therapy office, and you say, thank you more, please, out loud. That's why the book is called Thank You More, Please. It's about giving yourself permission to want what you want and permission to gather the evidence that it exists and permission to have what you want, mm. right? So the more you can build that evidence, do that thank you more, please practice, the more hope you'll build the more aligned action you'll take, the more available you'll feel for courageous action in the real world. Um, so it's a, a really, I think that that if you don't believe what you want is possible yet, then that's a call to action to start building that belief. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that those thoughts are true. It just is a call to action. Yeah. So regarding preferences, I, my most controversial video ever is the video which in which I talked about preferences. And my stance on preferences, everybody can choose whatever they want. Of course. I think that's a given. No one is ever going to be forced to date someone they don't want to date. Yeah. However, I do wonder how limiting it is for people when they set a hard physical or just any kind of hard preference. You know, they have to make this much money. They have to be this tall. They have to be this size. Yeah. They have to, you know, whatever it may be. So yeah. my question for you is... I know you mentioned you had this hard checklist. So I'm like, I'm just wondering yeah. what essence-based preferences are in relation to that. Great question. Is, can it be an essence-based preference that I want a man who's six feet tall? Great question. So there is such a dance that people are doing, I think, right now with preferences. I think that people generally fall into one of two categories or they pendulum swing between the two categories like I did. Okay. Either you over function so so let's just look at dating as the um the sort of like nerve-wracking thing that people are doing that mm -hmm. creates over functioning or under functioning over functioning is rigid checklist yes rigid expectations you shall not pass kind of vibes because you want to protect yourself in which case you're not open to being surprised by the right person. And in fact, you probably will be in the wrong relationships longer than you need to be because you think good on paper people deserve your time because they're good on paper, right? Like that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Similarly, under-functioning, which is what people think when when others say like, oh, you don't need a checklist. I think that people swing to the opposite, which is I just want somebody nice with a job. Right. Right? So that's like not wanting anything because you're afraid it doesn't exist. Yeah. So essence-based preferences come in the middle of those two things where you know what you want and you're open to being surprised by the right person. So let's take the height preference, for example. Yeah. 
somebody wants, let's say Becky wants somebody six feet tall and we're to, and she's my client. I'm going to ask her, okay, cool. What do you want someone who is six feet tall to make you feel like? Okay. Like in your brain, when you want, when you think of that, what they will say inevitably is I want to feel attracted. I want to feel held. I want to feel like like surrounded by their presence. I want to feel like when they hug me, I want it to feel really warm and enveloping. I want to feel like like they're the sexiest, right? And so my next question is, could it be possible? Have you ever experienced somebody in your life who made you feel those things who was not six feet tall? Yeah. Right? So then you're open to being surprised by the right person because you know how you want to feel. And when you know how you want to feel and when you use that as your metric, you will never, ever settle and you will be open to being surprised by the right people. That's a brilliant way to approach it. I love that because most people, when they want someone six feet tall, like I feel like a lot of these preferences there, it's about you, you know, and it's like about how you want to feel like you've got a catch. You want to feel like you're yeah. a smaller than the person and that makes you feel more feminine stuff something like that well and that's a that's another bag of worms isn't it the feeling smaller than the person yeah do you want to speak on that no <laughs> so, no yeah i do um again you get to want what you want and i think that every preference deserves your curiosity just being curious about like why do i want that what do you feel? What what am I making that mean about me? Just like asking yourself those deeper questions and allowing your brain to serve up answers and being aware of answers and being like, so what I do now in my day-to-day -day life is just like, because I'm more aware of my thoughts, I see them in real time sometimes. And I'm like, oh, that's so interesting that you think that, right? Like, and then reminding myself that's a thought, not a fact, right? So what actually serves me to believe? It may not serve me to only want to feel smaller than the person that I'm dating, right? Like it may not serve me or my ultimate desire to be in the right relationship, Yeah. right? So let me examine that, let me unpack it. So I, I think that that's why this work is deeper than the surface level. And I think that's why this work works because knowing how you wanna feel and unpacking all of the shoulds right. from your preferences will free you. Cause it is a should, I should be smaller. Yes. And I totally have compassion for people who feel that way. It's tough, but then it's like, it also to me becomes a bit of an ethical question. Cause it's like, oh, am I using somebody to make me feel better about myself? And to what extent is that okay? And to what extent is that normal part of a relationship? And we're going, we're getting so deep here. Yeah, <laughs> We're getting philosophical. Well, I think <laughs> grounding and yeah, I think grounding and like uh, an example um, could be helpful. Like I I've had clients before who say things like, I realize that I want to find a partner who will impress my friends. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what to do about that. Because when we're doing that that's work, hard. Like, I know that that's about them and not about actually being in the right relationship for me. But there's something about my identity that's wrapped up in another person's approval totally of the choices that i make that's a very normal human thing especially because again we all desire belonging and community and especially if some relationships in your life feel very um uh, uh dependent on other people's approval i think like, romantic you know, is and so then we get hard back to that. childhood and oh then we yeah get into parental relationships so just like i think seeing the patterns 
right? Seeing your patterns, seeing, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I make choices based on what I think my friends will be impressed by in terms of my dating relationships, or, oh, I make choices based on whether or not I feel smaller than the person. Just like having compassion for that part of you who just wants to be loved and just wants to have other people's approval oh, is really important to do first. That's huge. Yeah. And not, not blame yourself for it. And then you can be like, okay, what actually serves me? Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's really great. I think that's such a layered approach. Like that's, I think it's so important because like, this is what love requires self-reflection. I think, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of, baked in like you're gonna that's part of a relationship you're working through things you're getting to know each other like and you are preparing people so well for that um before we wrap up i want to ask you some of our listener questions come on a couple of these are going to be kind of general cobbled together because the same things came up a lot so i had a question that was about basically like not feeling a hundred percent confident in their body and feeling like the lack of confidence is a deal breaker to people or like they're not ready to date until they're perfectly confident, but at the same time desiring partnership. How would you approach that? Do you have to love yourself before somebody else can love you? Ooh, such a good question. Um, the RuPaulism, you can't, how are you going to love somebody else? How, exactly. how, are you, how the hell are you going to love? Ancient RuPaul your, proverb. Like, <laughs> right, it is. Um, what is it? Abby is it's um, how are you going to love somebody else if you don't love yourself if you can't right? love yourself yeah. if you if you can't love yourself how in the hell are you going to love somebody exactly. else um can I get an amen okay there we yes. are so I want to say that um Shani Silver who I think is brilliant has a great um phrase that she posted a couple weeks ago I haven't been able to stop talking about it which is a relationship is not a prize for healing oh yeah that is it's very piping hot tea. <laughs> yes, yes. Shani Silver. Um, so good. So I think it's important to recognize where you're letting the perfectionism seep into your expectations of self. And even in the phrasing, whether or not that was exact phrasing, it's like, the how do I feel perfectly? I want to feel perfectly confident or confident enough. So I think just first level setting with like, nobody feels confident 100% of the time. Nobody loves their body 100% of the time, the expectation of, of, um, you know, perfect body uh, love or perfect confidence in yourself. And that expectation is holding so many people back from doing things messily and imperfectly. Yes. Which doing the only reason that anybody gets anything done ever period is that they allow themselves to do it messily. Yeah. And so my answer is like, how, what is the best next step, right? The smallest baby step next step that would help you start realizing your desire. Because the, the, if we think about it, I wonder if there's some internalized like fat phobia at play potentially or internalized that because you are holding yourself back from pursuing your desire because of an externalized expectation of perfect confidence. Yeah, totally. Which I think doesn't exist. I got to be honest. It doesn't. Things are always no, going to come up. Things have come up for me being in a relationship that I had no idea I was insecure about. Uh-huh. 100%. I mean, I was working through all my stuff. I was like, I had I had a lot of hangups about like being somebody's girlfriend. I was finally over that. I was happily in this relationship. My boyfriend one day goes, hey, my mom said she's free for dinner with us in 20 minutes. And I said, I, 
I cannot do this. Like I freaked out because I was like, oh my God, now I have to present as a girlfriend. And now, you know what I mean? So like things come up and it was like that perception of of me from the outside. Like I, that's been a struggle for me a lot is I'm comfortable in the relationship. Then I step outside of it and I'm like, oh my God, everybody's seeing me as a person who's in a relationship and do they think I'm worthy and do they think that my boyfriend's more attractive than me and that I, you know, he's only dating me for some other reason or like whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, so it's just like shit comes up, man. I think just allowing yourself to be human and allow like seeing those thoughts and being like, wow, I'm having a lot of really hard thoughts. Right. Like, like instead of being like, oh, my God, they're true. It's true. I'm not enough. Or they uh, they didn't like me. So I am unworthy. Right. Like, yeah. just being like, wow, I'm having a really hard thought right now. It's not a fact. It's like, damn, I'm really invested in I, I have a lot of wounds about not being seen as a legitimate woman or a legitimate romantic right. possibility. And even when I have that in my relationship, I'm, you know, I'm projecting that out onto other people. Well, in the healing can happen. The healing from that can happen when you learn the skill of self-compassion. Dr. Kristen Neff is a, a, a thought leader that I really uh, admire and respect in regards to self-compassion. Um, and I also really love the book, The Body Liberation Project by Chrissy King, um, that talks about the expectations that we put on our body, how diet culture and white supremacy have impacted this conversation. So um, I really recommend uh, Chrissy King's work. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say self-compassion comes in and just sounds like it's proven from a 2014 study out of Stanford to reduce stress and to increase resiliency, which are two things that you need to put yourself out there. You don't need absolute confidence. You just need self-compassion, which is not just going easy on yourself. It's actually a scientifically backed way to soften your relationship to your human self so that you can more easily bounce back from any perceived rejection or any difficult experience so you're not stuck in like paralyzed inaction after a hard dating experience you actually have the tools to be kind to yourself notice your thoughts as not thoughts not facts and also to bring yourself in the human collective experience instead of being like i'm the only one i'm uniquely unqualified right self-compassion can be a really great resource yeah okay Regarding uniquely unqualified, we have to bring up this late bloomer conversation. I'm getting so many comments from people who are anywhere from 18 to 30s, 40s, who are feeling like it's too late for me to start. I haven't, you know, I haven't had the experiences at the right time. Like now, how do I proceed and how and is this going to be a deal breaker for people? Basically, since you were a late bloomer, I would love to hear your thoughts your experience if you're willing to share it and your advice i first self-compassion of course you feel this way right the world has socialized us to think that you're behind if you're not in a romantic relationship by a certain age especially if you grew up in certain parts of the country Mm -hmm. that you know so, so like of course so many people feel this and i know too much I have seen too many people get started imperfectly and move forward. I've seen too many people get what they want in their 30s and 40s to let people like default to it doesn't exist or it's too embarrassing. Mm, it's too the embarrassing. Thought, it's real. The thought it's too embarrassing is a thought, not a fact. And you're centering in 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 you're protecting yourself if you believe that. Totally normal. Both and you're centering the wrong people in your belief 
about whether or not it's possible. You're centering the people who are wrong for you to protect yourself, of course, but to get out there to like give the motivation to get out there, you have to center like in your brain, the people who will be delighted to see you and meet yeah. you, which you can look at your friendships and say thank you more please right mm. like you do have relationships you have people in your life who have chosen you and dating is a skill set finding love is a skill set a learnable skill set that you need to like neutralize the embarrassment to actually move forward i mean it's like classic fixed mindset versus growth mindset right. the fixed mindset says i should have arrived by now and the growth mindset says, okay, what's next? Yeah. This is my human imperative to grow. I want something. Let me figure out how to get it. Yeah. I think it also really applies to another question I got a lot, which is I'm terrified to approach anyone I think is cute because the failure seems inevitable. So if you perceive yourself to be a late bloomer and you're afraid to get started, mm -hmm. all you have to do is identify in my perspective identify what you want ideally with the essence-based preferences workbook that's free on datebrazen.com um yeah. if you want to do that but like give yourself permission to explore what you want instead of shutting yourself down number two get accountability from a loved one in your life who you trust like be mm. honest and say like hey i feel like a late bloomer or i feel like totally behind and i'm freaked out will you be a kind of accountability buddy will you be a support for me like be intentional about your support you deserve support and then mm -hmm. take massive messy action towards your desires and celebrate the hell out of yourself for every attempt instead of blaming yourself for being behind or blaming yourself for not knowing what to do celebrating every attempt even if it's small even if it's just creating a dating profile or making eye contact with a cute person or saying hello to somebody that you find cute those things are celebratory the more you celebrate the more your brain will recognize that you're doing something that you want to do more of and the more you will do of it suddenly you're dating okay that's i actually think i did that unintentionally there's a lot of stuff you talk about that i'm like oh my god i did that yes um but i, I have a really strong memory of this one night where i was like I was always never sure if I was flirting or if I was being flirted with. Yeah. There was one night where I met a girl in a lesbian bar and she called me cute and we exchanged numbers and I was like, I did it. I flirted. <gasps> I remember celebrating that. Good job. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I think that, you know, I use this metaphor of the party, like the party feels even juicier and more fun after you come a little bit after start time or a lot after start time. Late bloomer dating is the same thing. Like don't not go to the party because you think you're too late to the party the party is continuing the party exists just get yourself there and find the people who you like vibe with and uh, and go take action to bring yourself more connectivity and hopefully more joy in the process yes i really remember my fear of all of this and actually it continued into my relationship because it's my first relationship and I've only been in one um serious one yeah. and I remember thinking okay well I have this relationship now and I'm really happy in it but I didn't have the exploratory young phase mm -hmm. and yeah. I felt like I was missing that and I felt that I was missing that so much that we actually ended up going on a break this past year, which I talked a lot about on our Patreon if you want the tea. But um, basically I was like, well, we have to take this break because I have to I have to like explore and I have to have the whole phase I never had. And like yeah. I felt like I had missed that part of the party and I didn't know if I wanted it, but I felt so terrible that I had missed it that I was like, I have to try mm. it. 
I felt like, oh, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I didn't get my chance to be messy. And like, I should have been messy. I was messy in every other way. Like, let's be clear. I was financially messy. I was messy in my friendships. I was messy in <laughs> I was partying, like everything, um, except like the dating and the casual sex. Yeah. So like, I was worried about missing out on these like human experiences. But now that I think about it, I'm like, I have a relationship that like, a lot of people is exactly what they're looking for. <laughs> And it is exactly what I was looking for. Right. And like, what if I'm just lucky? What if you got what you wanted? I think is the the sort of question that I would ask yourself. What if I got what I wanted? And that can mm. be a really scary question um, to answer. It is a scary question. Because getting what we want, I think the struggle is normalized. I mean, I think that Trisha Hershey said it beautifully in her book um she says hustle culture is violence and i think that this idea of like i've got to oh. be doing all the things right like even the conception of what messy means it's so interesting that like what people assume i mean when i say messy they think like all the casual sex all of the like all of the yeah. hookups all of the makeout sessions all of the like not testing back and like whatever and what i mean by messy is whatever feels like you're not wrapping everything up in a bow. You're not trying to pursue perfection. You're just going for what you want. And for some people that could be casual sex. For some people that could be a relationship. For some people that could be like, I discovered in my twenties that I didn't like casual sex. It wasn't, it didn't feel good to me. And so being messy for me meant actually not doing that. Right? Like, because I thought that was the expectation or what I should be doing. So I think that it's about giving yourself permission to want what you want and pursue it unapologetically, whatever that is. Totally. Okay. So I've gotten a couple questions from people who aren't sure if they're asexual or if they are just cutting themselves off subconsciously because of knowing their body's not viewed as attractive. And that was also a part of my journey. So um, I just wanted to ask that one because you said people have made discoveries about their sexuality in doing work with you. Yes, I think specifically around labels, period, mm -hmm. it can be, they can be very freeing, they can also be limiting. Like, so I think that this idea of figuring out what's best for you, and knowing that we all exist in a more complex way than a label will potentially provide, though a label can be very affirming. I think that in terms of this specific question, am I asexual? Or do I just avoid sex? Because I have thoughts about my body. Yeah. I think that the answer is kind of there already. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> because I wonder, and I don't want to do it, like I don't want to do a blanket statement, of course. All of this is nuanced, and I say for every coaching session, like take what you need, leave the rest, right? Like I think mm -hmm. that everybody is the expert of their own story and their own truth. Both and if you're asking the question, then I think you want to explore the answer to that question, which means that there's a door open to you potentially not fitting in an asexual label. I don't know. But the fact that you're asking the question is really interesting to me. And your brain is probably like protecting yourself from the answer, whatever it is. Yeah. Because honestly, being asexual is not, it's hard to date when you're asexual too. And I had another question from someone who is asexual and then gets fetishized by men or or it feels fetishizing and objectifying the attention that right. they're getting. And then they right. tell people they're asexual and the people are like, never mind. So that's also really hard. Can you ask that question again? Um, 
I will read it out to you verbatim. I'm asexual and plus size, and the instant guys who are actually attracted to me slash fetishize me find out I'm ace, they stop talking to me. Ace, can you define ace in this context? Ace is asexual. Asexual. I've also heard it referred to as somebody who hasn't had sex yet, ace. Really? Yeah, like ace, like, um, I don't know. But but yeah, so let's take it asexual. So being fetishized by folks who... Is it like fetish? I I, I want clear. I, I'm so nervous to like give an answer that doesn't feel resonant. No, I totally, so I totally hear clarity. you. This is kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think it ties into a few questions that I got about feeling like you are, as a plus size person, valuable only sexually and not romantically. And so if the sex isn't on the table because you don't want it, then people are dismissing you. And that's the struggle. Yeah. First, I just want to say that sucks. Yeah. And I think that um, what a what a what a um, what a disappointment, right? This like constant, you know, th- th- this um, experience of being let down by other humans in your dating life or being reduced to a mm. body when you're so much more than just a body, right? And and also sexual pleasures, like sexual desire, is a thing that is is complex also, and a lot of people are dating for sex, which. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. That is also valid. So I Mm -hmm. think that this is about potentially being honest from the jump. Yeah. About what you're looking for, potentially even before a first date, right? Yeah. So it could be about boundaries. And then even with boundaries, even with direct communication, it can, people can surprise you in great ways and not so great ways, right? So I think that then this conversation becomes about if, if this person was asking me, how do I build hope when this has happened several times? I would say, how can you decenter the people who were wrong for you and whether or not you believe what you want is possible? Yeah. Because ultimately, I believe that everyone is for the few, not for the many. If we look at the population and how many people are dating, right? Like right. there are a beautiful small number of people who would be amazing for you. I don't believe mm-hmm. in the one. I think that like this is about how you center yourself and what you want and be creative in your imagination of the people who also will want what you want and want what you have to offer. Yeah. And go out and thank you more. Please the shit out of that instead of centering the people who are wrong for you. It sucks that they were wrong for you. It sucks that they potentially did harm both. And they were wrong for you. Bless and release them. I love this both. And I remember this life coaching technique that I learned where it's like, if you have a, I want this, but I can't have it because you switch the butt for and, and you, instead of saying, I want a relationship, but people don't like that I'm asexual, you have to switch it to and. So I want, I like, I, I want this and I'm having this struggle and yes. it's been hard to get. Yeah. Yes. Being real with that. And I am, I think it's about a baby step next thought, right? Instead of trying to toxic positivity your way into, it does exist. Just be like, your brain won't accept that if it doesn't believe it right now. So saying like, it might be possible that what I want does exist. It might be possible that I haven't met everyone yet. That's a good one, that I haven't met everyone yet. That's great. Yeah, so I have a lot of questions here about people just feeling like not valuable. Like that's the thing about being plus size in the dating space. It Mm. feels like, it feels like everyone's commodifying themselves and you are low value. Like, that's what, mm. do you know what I mean? It's so gross yeah. to say it like that, but that's the emotion, I think. Mm-hmm. So one of the examples is feeling invisible. 
I mm. have a couple of people who have named it in exactly that way. It's like how to deal with feeling that you're invisible in the dating market or that someone won't go for you if you're plus size or yeah. one person said, I'm terrified of someone being mean to me for being plus size. Mm. Even though they've yeah. lost a bunch of weight, they're still they're still plus size and they're still afraid. That makes total sense. Okay, so my next step for those people is to first really radically practice self-compassion instead yeah. of trying to talk yourself the either or the like viral TikTok advice would be like just think about it this way as opposed to this like, the either or binary is very attractive i think that that's also where we get into toxic positivity which is like yes. it doesn't matter it's okay right. i'm enough so mm -hmm. first deal with like what's happening how can you practice compassion for yourself how can you like be really fucking kind to yourself exactly where you're at because in addition to the stigma you face outside you might be struggling internally with some self-blame or some totally. some self self-hatred or self-doubt in that way so like really starting an imperfect practice of self-compassion will really help self-compassion can here's what it looks like in practice you sit down you take a deep breath, you put your hand somewhere compassionate, like your heart or your tummy, and you take a deep breath and you say, I'm here for you and this really sucks. Yeah. Period. Just like literally being radically with yourself. Totally. Through a hard feeling and hard moment. I think that's true, even if it's not an internal thing, because a lot of what these describe yes. is, here's one, advice on reconciling the core belief that fat is neutral and dieting doesn't work with the feeling that I'll never find love if I don't lose weight. So it's like the feeling is it's the outside judgment, but I feel right. good and I'm happy, but the outside judgment still hurts. But the only reason the outside judgment still hurts is that there's a part of you that I believe like is fearful that it's right. Yeah. Because if you truly were like, that's not true. Like, for example, when I talk to like somebody who is a Trump supporter, like whatever, I'm just like, I don't think you're right. And I don't, nothing that you're saying is making me feel anything other than I don't think you're right. I think that when people are like, I'm sure that I'm right about this and that you're wrong, there's not as much emotional connect, like, yeah. Tricks that happen you know you're right because I feel that way about my trolls a lot of the time and like certain ones will get under my skin and certain ones won't and it just depends if I just disagree with them so I think that it's about like the only Cara Lowenthal who has the unfuck your brain podcast which is so good it's a feminist I'm a fan life I've been a podcast. subscriber for a long time <laughs> my god she's amazing um her book comes out soon we blurbed each other's books very oh, amazing her book is take back your brain and I digress it, um, she says, a thought only feels true because you've practiced it a zillion times. Mm, damn, that's so true. Right? So if you have the thought, no, it's a thought, nobody's going to be into me or mm -hmm. I'm unlovable if I'm fat or I'm not worthy of love. That's a thought you've practiced a billion times that has been only like perpetuated by the outside noise that is such bullshit and so prevalent so of course you're thinking that both and then it's about what are you going to do now yeah so my call to action to that person is okay process the feelings in your body that come up when you think i'm not maybe i'm not worthy or other people tell me i'm not worthy process those feelings like take deep mm -hmm. breaths do the self-compassion then ask yourself what else might be true it might be true that my brain is wrong and just trying to protect me. It might be true that the right person 
will make themselves apparent to me. It might be true that I haven't met everyone yet. It might be true. This is tough for high achieving people. It might be true that I don't know everything. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Right. People of all sizes find love every single day and acknowledging it's harder for people with marginalized identities based on our society and the intersection intersections of oppression, both and it might be true that the right people exist. Right. So yeah. like creating a baby step thought and then practicing the shit out of that baby step thought and watching your brain whenever you go back to the default thought and like be like, OK, that's a hard thought, not a fact. Right. So that's how you change the neural pathways of your brain to actually believe that you are worthy of what you want. And it doesn't like I don't think that another person can adequately prove that to you, even if that you met the kindest, most wonderful. That's why we both in new relationships didn't believe that we were worthy of them. Right? Ooh, yeah. Yup. Because <laughs> another person, another person's job is not to change my brain. It's my job to change my brain. Yeah. And it's funny to say that because. I feel like I've had, I mean, this is something that I think is just part of the struggle of life and even being in a happy relationship, like I struggle with feeling unattractive or like, like I'm not attractive to the world. Does that make sense? Like I'm not, yeah, a, I'm not, sure. I'm not valued highly because of my appearance and the appearance mm -hmm. is of such value. Right. And honestly, my boyfriend thinks it's, it's so crazy. Like he's like, what, how do you have, you know what I mean? But it's like not everybody sees me the way that you see me yeah. and that and it's so it's 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 an ongoing yeah. struggle and it's something you do really have to keep tackling because again like getting in a relationship right. you're gonna have more struggles there's right. just more coming down the pike but it's so much better and easier and happier so <laughs> I will say that well you've done a lot <laughs> of like hard and worthy work on creating a soft place for yourself to land and supporting mm -hmm. yourself and and creating I think that the other thing that you can give yourself like I hope you give yourself so much credit for is creating a community space oh right? yeah so like shame is ultimately like a feeling that a lot of that comes up with a lot of these shares I would imagine um and for me too in my dating life back you know and even still like I process shame all the time because I'm human and the idea that um oh my god I lost my train of thought Abby but I was saying shame <laughs> feeling of shame oh it can't breed in community can't breed mm. in the light so you creating a touch point of support and this podcast and you creating your TikTok and like you creating those touch points of community and belonging for folks is ultimately like a shame diffusing magic oh, wand shame can't breed in the light that is so true i think brene brown said that i don't think i okay <laughs> <laughs> well brene is amazing um I also just want to say that like from that perspective of be feeling like I'm I love myself I'm great I shouldn't be dismissed and not seen and found unattractive but like the world doesn't see my value essentially it's like I have value but the world doesn't see it that's like such an underestimation of the world and like if that's the reality like would you even want to be with right. someone you know right yeah yeah and I, I think I'm ha I have some new friends who like are fucking models. Okay, I'll I'll say it. And I <laughs> I I think that I'm beautiful and I still have a lot of deep insecurities and my pattern when I'm around people that I perceive to be more conventionally attractive than I am is mm -hmm. to shrink. 
Oh, and yeah. even being aware of that, I mean, I remember being a nanny and some of the parents that I would work for were literal New York City, like professional ass models and me like shrinking me like a oh, little old me, you know? And so I, I do think that this idea of watching my own brain, watching the thoughts that I was having that I needed to shrink, that I wasn't worthy of taking up that space, even being aware of those thoughts allowed me to question them and allowed me to like be in my fuck it energy more yeah. and start to in my new friendships or in my like be like no i i'm here for a reason on this earth i'm here because i matter and i think that that's a thought that i and and that my opinion matters my 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 brain matters like my my like i matter and that's only a thought that i could get to when mm -hmm. i got aware of the original thought right so like yeah. i couldn't toxic positivity my way into like i'm fucking awesome i had to literally go into the depths of my soul to be like okay lily you yeah. really think you're too much for every single friendship and interaction like let's let's practice a new thought let's practice some self-compassion so it is a journey results in this way like happen faster when you're in alignment so I don't think that it takes, this is a thought that I love by Serena Hicks. It, it doesn't take time. It takes alignment in terms of finding the right mm. relationship, in terms of believing that you are worthy for the right relationship. Just start, yeah. like, it takes practice. Yeah. It doesn't take time. It takes alignment. That's, oh my God, you have such a, a wonderful library of quotes in your brain. I'm obsessed. <laughs> um, I did actually get a question, uh, one of the one of the dating struggles, I asked, what's your biggest dating struggle as a plus size person? And one person said, seeing skinnier girls around me and feeling less than. Oh, yeah. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, that it's oh, God, that self-compassion. You you got to do it because I think so much of it is is like the hierarchy feeling, the feeling of being low in the hierarchy. And that's right. really hard. But then I also think, why are we making dating a hierarchy? And right. like, It's a false metric. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that was step two was like, why why are we turning dating into sports? Why are we turning dating into work? Like, you know, it's, this should be, this is a partner. This is someone you share love with. This is a spiritual connection, really. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, that's how I like to think of it. And um, yeah, all that other stuff exists, but like, yeah. isn't this, aren't you looking for like communion of your souls? And like, mm -hmm. that doesn't know any, of that other right. bullshit. <laughs> yes, right. I think that, it, again, it's like the centering the people and situations that weren't right for you and whether mm -hmm. or not you believe what you want is possible instead of centering your desire, which was the soul connection, which was the, you know, the the deeper yeah. conversations, which was the deeper connection, right? Centering your desire is a radical act of agency. Totally. So I think that allowing yourself to want what you want, giving yourself permission to want what you want is exactly what will create more of the life that you want to lead. Yeah. And um, and that's very like simple and complicated, but like it could start today. You giving yourself, writing yourself a literal permission slip to want a relationship or to want to feel better about your body or to want to even um, create some, uh, some thank you more please moments, right? Like mm. uh, I want to build evidence. I want to build hope. I give myself permission to hope. That can be like oh, life changing. It's so hard. That it, it's totally life changing, but it's the hardest damn thing when your whole yeah. life you've been in that self protect mode, which it totally makes sense to be when you are told over and over that you are not valuable, specifically in this area, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, yes, and 
Mm-hmm. That's why nervous system care and self-compassion and like having your back as you process hard feelings, not just like feel them and, and let them swallow you, but like literally feel them in a way that allows them to pass like pooping mm-hmm. their bodily functions. Like, yeah, that that's so true. Create, <laughs> that will create the like end of the stress loop as they talk about in the book, uh, the Nagoski sisters talk about in the book burnout. So mm-hmm. like, yes, it's hard. And I think creating emotional safety will make all of this more easeful. And creating emotional safety is our, like, we got to figure it out as human beings. And I think that the more emotional safety people can create for themselves in their dating lives, the more they'll be able to put themselves out there and not let the people who were wrong for them get them stuck. Yeah. And it's also, it's so necessary because when you're in a relationship, the point is emotional safety, right? Like, yes, you gotta without that, it what's the point? You find the person, yes. Yeah, and if you bring emotional safety to that relationship, then it'll become a safe space for both of you, and the other person will be able to match you, and and um, you yeah, you just set the tone so much. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for answering all these questions. Thanks to everybody who commented on anywhere that I asked for them. Um, I I uh, have so much compassion for this. I feel like I am, even though I'm not dating, I'm still going through it. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's part of the, it's, it's what it is to exist in this society yes. as a fat person. That's part of it. And it's what it is to exist, period. Especially when love feels so, like, valued by everybody and so important and so our whole lives are structured around it. So I just want to say everybody who's listening if you're struggling with this like god i feel for you so much and i'm i'm in the trenches with you in the emotional trenches <laughs> and i would say to them also like what you want is possible mm-hmm. and the right person is going to be so the right people the right person is going to be so fucking happy to have met you that's all I'll totally say. the ender yeah and there's something that you said on your podcast and i was listening to it which was you can't there, you can't do the wrong thing for the right person. What, you can't can say you, the wrong thing to the right person. You can't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, people are worried about catfishing on being seen as a catfish on dating profiles. Like you won't you, you won't show up wrong to the right person. Correct. Yeah. 100%. If you show up as you. Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. Happy <laughs> Thank Valentine's you again, Lily. Day. Can, uh, where can we buy your book and when? Can we pre-order and where can we find you on social media and where can we work with you? Amazing. Okay, so you can buy my book, Thank You More Please, A Feminist Guide to Breaking Dumb Dating Rules and Finding Love. Literally anywhere books are sold, it's on pre-order. So... If you want the juiciest pre-order bonuses, which is the Thank You More Please Club, I have live coaching sessions and a podcast listening guide for you. You just have to pre-order one book and you get the Thank You More Please Club when you go to datebrazen.com slash book. So you can go to datebrazen.com slash book and sign up for the pre-order bonus and get in the Thank You More Please Club. It's going to be such a joyful, transformative time before the book ever hits your doorstep in June. And uh, if you want to listen to my podcast to get a regular dose, a weekly dose of feminist as fuck dating advice, then you can go to the Date Brazen podcast, which is everywhere podcasts are. And then if you want to work with me, my program, The Brazen Breakthrough, which is uh, a step-by-step 
program that will have you creating a joyful as fuck dating life that makes the right relationship inevitable. That program is open right now as, as of the uh, recording dropping. So you can learn more at datebrazen.com uh, to find out more about the Brazen Breakthrough. Beautiful. Thank you again so much. Have an amazing day. And uh, I still don't have a sign off phrase. So we're just going to say bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of More Than Tracy Turnblad. If you liked it, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. For more content, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash more than Tracy T. Follow us on social media at more than Tracy T on everything. I'm Abby. I'm Luce. And, and we, we are, are more than, than Tracy Turnblad. Turnblad.